Welcome back to Something Private, a podcast for Southeast Asian women by Southeast Asian women, exploring conversations around health, the self, community and love. My name is Nicole and I am your producer and host. So today is a really special episode. Not only do we have somebody who's been on a podcast before, but we also have my mom. <laughs> so, hi mom, could you introduce yourself to everybody first? Hi, uh, my name is uh, Evelyn and I'm Nicole's mom. So the reason why my mom is here on today's episode is because we're finally tackling a topic that has been highly requested, highly sought after, and that is the topic of the human papilloma virus prevention and awareness which is HPV for short. So I think it's something that since we started this podcast, many of you listening, tuning in have been requesting for it because in the last couple of years, it's been quite a hot topic with the push for a nationwide immunization. So I thought it'd be a good idea to bring my mom on board because she's actually the one that introduced me to HPV. I think the context is that my mom and I have a very close relationship mm -hmm. um, when she faced some health issues a couple of years back. The doctor advised for her to get vaccinated and with that she was very candid in telling me that I should do this to protect my own sexual health mm -hmm. and it makes our relationship so great. Exactly. Where we are today is that we are both vaccinated mm -hmm. but I think if you were to ask both of us off the bat now to explain what HPV is, we I don't, don't think we can give you an answer. Right. What's HPV? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so therefore I think it's a good idea for us to engage the expertise of a medical expert in this field. And therefore, we brought on Dr. Liana on our episode today. So some of you might remember her. She appeared on our episode really early on to talk about sexually transmitted infections. Hi, Dr. Ko. Hello. Hi, I'm Dr. Liana Ko. I'm actually an obstetrician and gynecologist practicing in STONG practice located at Thompson Medical Center. And an obstetrician basically means I take care of pregnant women, the mummies and their babies. And a gynecologist means that I take care of women and their women health problems. And of course, cervical cancer screening prevention and as well as HPV screening and prevention is something that I'm quite interested about. Mm. And I have last year when they introduced the human papilloma virus, which is HPV vaccine in schools last year, I did volunteer to give some talks. Um, just to educate the girls and the teachers there as to why the vaccination is important and to encourage them to do it. In addition, also, I've gone overseas to volunteer for projects, uh, especially in Ladakh, which is in the Himalayas, and we screen the women there for uh, cervical cancer as well as treat them so that we can prevent cervical cancer because they don't have access to uh, to the vaccination like us. So this, I'm really grateful that you've uh, taken up my suggestion from last <laughs> year and actually invited me back. It's very good to be back here and hopefully I can enlighten and, and be of help. Thanks for being here. Thank um, you. So before we start today's episode, I just want to give a shout out to our partners. The guys at It's Your Life SG have partnered with us to do an episode featuring the human papilloma virus prevention and awareness hpv for short so shout out to msd pharma thanks for doing this with us let's start off with talking a bit about hpv so hpv is actually short form for human papilloma virus and this is basically a an infection that is transmitted through sexual contact it's a very common type of infection in fact it's so common i usually tell my patients it's likened to like catching a flu 
There are over a hundred types of HPV, but the ones that we are actually concerned about are the ones that cause cervical cancer. And that out of these hundred types, there are 14 types that we term the high-risk HPVs. And these are the ones that cause cancer. Out of the 14, the top two that cause the most cancer are number 16 and number 18. So they're basically numbered from like 1 to 100. Mm. And number 16 and number 18 cause about 70% of cervical cancer. Right after them, number 52 and 58 are actually the most prevalent after number 16 and 18. And then we also have those that are low risk, which means they don't cause cancer, but they actually cause a sexually transmitted disease called genital warts, which we probably have mentioned about in the previous episode. And genital warts are basically like really itchy growths that you can get at the genital area, but these are not cancerous. So these are the most common types of HPV infections and the ones that we are concerned about. Most of the time, HPV infection is actually asymptomatic, meaning that people who get it don't even know they have it. And it's only when it stays in your body for a really long period of time, then it can cause, start to cause changes, either like the genital warts, which will turn out with symptoms. And that's when patients come to see me. Or for cervical cancer-wise, they turn up either on their cervical cancer screening when you do a pap smear, which we will talk about later on, or maybe even at the worst case scenario when it starts to already cause pre-cancer or even cancerous changes, and that can cause irregular bleeding, menstrual disorders, mm. and uh, worst case scenario when it's cancer, then you have the cancer symptoms. Mm. Okay, this is a great like, TLDR mm -hmm. of HPV. Okay. I want to know, um, let's talk about transmission first, mm -hmm. right? Because you mentioned that it's passed through sexual activity, but I did kind of read that like besides sexual activity, right, there's a possibility that HPV can be transmitted through like skin-to-skin -skin contact. So maybe you can break that down a bit for me. Okay, so it's most commonly passed by sexual contact, but of course that can include even just skin-to-skin um, -skin genital contact through oral sex, anal sex, and basically any genital-to-genital -genital contact. Technically, um, kissing and things like that, but most commonly you would it's usually passed by actual sexual content. Yeah. Mm. I actually have a friend who she's never had any sexual activity, mm -hmm. but she told us that she was diagnosed with HPV recently because she went for like a dance event and basically mm -hmm. she danced barefoot. Um, mm -hmm. And then what happened was that there was a cut. And then I think because, you know, like all the dancers, they perspire and everything like that. Mm -hmm. So there was a bit mm -hmm. of like sweat on the floor. And I don't know how, but... After that, when she visit, visited the doctor, the doctor told her that there's a possibility that you might have gotten HPV. To me, when I heard that, I was like, oh, that's mm. scary. You know, okay. I thought that like it wouldn't transmit mm. that way. Firstly, it's probably a really, really rare case. <laughs> Secondly, a few flaws in the story, but it's fine. <laughs> um, essentially, I think it's very, very rare. We don't really hear things of where it passes through bodily fluids and especially from a cut on the floor, mm. not close to the genitalia area. So it depends on really sh whether she really actually got screened for HPV, mm. but generally it is usually through genital to genital contact. Mm. You mentioned just now that the most of the time people who catch HPV are asymptomatic, right? So how does it typically like present itself? Because if most of the time it's asymptomatic, then what should I be looking out for? What are some symptoms that would arise? Yeah. So essentially, if we're talking about the low-risk HPVs, like I mentioned, those that cause genital warts, then you would probably see the actual lesions on mm. the genital area. And they kind of look like what we call cauliflower groves. Um, they're very, very itchy and a bit lumpy. And that would be very obvious. 
For high-risk HPV, however, they don't generally present with any growths. They are only detected by screening. So a lot of my patients, they come to me with abnormal screening test results from their pap smear, done either elsewhere or with myself. And very, very rarely, they have symptoms of pre-cancer, which can present with um, abnormal menstrual bleeding, either bleeding in between your periods when you're not supposed to have any. You can have very prolonged periods as well. Very rarely you get pain if the precancer has progressed to cancer where that's causing an actual lesion. So lesions can only usually be seen if cancer has developed. And that really takes a very, very long time. HPV stays in your body for many years before it turns to abnormal changes in the cervix, mm. which we term precancer. Mm. And even then from precancer to cancer, it takes almost 10 to 20 years in some cases before you even get symptoms. So that is why screening is so important because you have to do regular screening in order for us to pick up firstly the HPV infection and or later on pre-cancer so that we can treat it and further prevent cancer. Mm. So it sounds as if like it's like a virus that stays in your body and goes undetected. Yeah, it's very secretive and, in a way. And under what circumstances will it like present itself? Again, most people don't have any symptoms so mm. it doesn't really show up in that sense but it does... It's very common to catch it. So 80% of sexually active both men and women will get HPV in their lifetime. It's very common. But um, if your immunity is good, then generally, especially if you're younger, you can actually clear the virus within about one to two years. Mm. If you're older or your immunity is poorer, then that might take longer to clear or it may not clear from your body. And that's when it stays in your body and starts to cause the precancer changes, the abnormal changes, which eventually will lead to cancer. Mm. So in women, HPV actually causes about 99% of cervical cancer, which is very high, which is why screening and prevention is so important. Okay, so I think I want to understand a bit more about HPV prevention because I mean like, with everything that you have said so far, it sounds scary, but very realistically speaking, I, I don't think, you know, many girls would take the initiative to go for a jet, right? And I think we do see a bit of, like, resistance in society and, like, the community in terms of, like, getting the prevention because I think that people associate it with sexual activity. The question is, you know, what makes it so scary? Like, why should we get prevention, so HPV infection remains the most common sexually transmitted infection with no known treatment or cure. And there are actually about 30 or 40 of them that can infect the genital area, uh, with some causing genital warts in both men and women. Mm. The important thing is that even though it's about sexual activity, you should be getting your vaccination and prevention before anything happens, before you even have a chance to get the virus. And that's when prevention is the most effective. Mm. You shouldn't be waiting until you're, you're sexually active and you're older before you actually try to prevent. By that time, it's all about screening and, and detection already. Mm. So that's why, um, even though it sounds scary, even though it's so common, it's something that's highly preventable. It's something that's really easy to prevent and treat and that's why it's so important to educate. Yeah. Mm. I have a fun fact. So mm -hmm. I read that we are more susceptible to getting HPV than diabetes. And it's up to like seven times according to a resource that I read. Which is really interesting because I guess we are a nation of like bubble tea drinkers. And you know, like diabetes is quite, is quite common. So the fact that HPV, we're more susceptible to getting it is quite like a shocking statistic. 
Yeah, so I think that's probably true. I mean, even in pregnancy itself, diabetes in Singapore is actually quite high. It's almost like 20% of women can get diabetes in pregnancy, mm. which is one in five women. Mm-hmm. But like I mentioned just now, 80% is like four in five of men and women, not just women. So um, that's really a very high statistic that we should be concerned about. Um, But the good thing is that um, even though we have so many strains of HPV and there are 14 that can at least cause cervical cancer, the high-risk strains that we talked about, um, it's really, really highly preventable. So cervical cancer is actually the second most common cause of death in women aged 15 to 44 years. And this is at the reproductive age when they are actually the most active, they are um, studying, then they are working, and then they are contributing to their family and society. So it's really important to screen and prevent it. In addition, when they are older, between 45 to 54 of age is actually very common as well. But however, bear in mind, all ages are actually at risk of getting cervical cancer Mm. once you are sexually active. There are actually almost 200 new cases of cervical cancer diagnosed each year in Singapore. And around almost 70 people actually die yearly between the years of 2011 to 2015 based on the data. Okay, so doctor, actually, me and my mom have both gotten vaccinated already. But like I mentioned just now, we don't know much about it I don't even remember which one I got or what I can't even tell my friends you know like mm-hmm. this is what you should go for so I'm wondering if you could just spell it out a bit for me how do I get protected against HPV and what can I expect yeah okay so importantly I tell my patients you are basically trying to protect yourself against cervical cancer And prevention for cervical cancer, the only way is to prevent the infection of the virus that causes cervical cancer, which is HPV. Mm. And out of all the HPVs, there are 14, like we mentioned, that are high risk that cause cervical cancer. Um, Vaccinations cover various strains and um, they do cover the most important ones, like I mentioned, at least 16 and 18, which cause majority of cancer. Mm. The earlier you take it before the onset of sexual activity, of course, the better and the more it makes sense. Mm. If you take it at a young age, at less than 15 years old, so before your 15th birthday, you can actually just take two doses. But if you are past your 15th birthday, then you do need to take three doses. Either way, the vaccination is completed in six months. Mm. So I want to just kind of drive on the point. If a girl is below the age of 15, she would get the vaccination that has two doses. If she's above 15 years of age after her 15th birthday she would get three doses I'm wondering why is there this like 15 years like cut off age the difference in the age is due to the studies and how the body responds to the vaccination and it's recommended both by the vaccination as well as WHO that that's the dosage that will give the best immunity response. Mm. So it's more like a recommended, Mm. like a guideline kind of thing. Yes. Okay. So another thing that I wanted to ask is also because I think a lot of friends when we're talking about like HPV, a lot of them come to me asking me whether they can still be protected from HPV after they turn 26. Because there seems to be this misconception that when you turn 26, it no longer applies to you. So it's essential to talk to your gynae, your doctor, whoever's giving it to you, um, which vaccination is suitable for you and or whether it's suitable for you and whether you can actually go for it. But yes, you can. Could you take us through like what would a first-timer expect if he or she walks into a clinic and wants to get vaccinated? Okay, so if I see a patient who wants the vaccine, I would tell them what it's for, essentially whatever we've been through and the expected schedule like I mentioned. Mm. And overall, the jab is very fast. It takes like a few seconds. 
It's usually given in the upper arm, in the muscle of the arm. We're taking a short break. Something Private is a podcast produced by WeFM. This episode was made in partnership with MSD Pharma. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from to hear first when we post a new episode. Follow us on Instagram at somethingprivatepod and turn on the push notification for whenever we post something new. Have a thought you'd like to share? Reach us at nicole at somethingprivate.fm. Now, back to the episode. So, my mum and I have been vaccinated, mm-hmm. right? And there's no need for an additional shot. But in that case, there might be some instances where the virus kind of like hides itself and doesn't show up until mm. like many years later or like I can only confirm that when I get a screening. So, I'm a bit confused. Tell me a bit about the difference between like getting a screening, a test, what are the, what are the terminologies that I have to be aware of? Yeah. So, firstly, prevention is the first step in cervical cancer and that is by the vaccination it is important to be aware that the vaccination is not protective 100 percent depending on the strains that it covers it will cover you for a certain percentage and therefore it's still very important that even if you've had the vaccination you do need to still go for your regular screening so that's the second step in prevention of cervical cancer so screening is when we do your regular pap smears And nowadays, we actually do tests for the virus, the HPV virus, which is through a HPV DNA test. Mm. They're both conducted in the same way, Mm. and they only need to be done once you are sexually active. Mm. So the screening takes place from whatever age you're sexually active, um, at least from the age of 21 to 25, depending on various country guidelines, and all the way until you're at least 69 years old. The last screening test, because cervical cancer, the incidence actually drops um, once you start aging. So past the age of 65, the chance of getting cervical cancer is actually very, very low compared to in the younger age groups. Like we were talking about the reproductive age group, 15 Mm. to 45, and then up to the ages of 54. So once you pass 65, you actually don't have to go for regular screening anymore so long as your previous tests have been negative. Mm. Yeah, so there are always caveats to things, but it's important to remember to go for regular screening. Now, screening, like I mentioned, there were the two different tests. Pap smears are recommended for um, younger girls, so up to the age of 30. We usually recommend to go for at least three yearly pap smears. Mm. And the three-year mark is the maximum mark. If you, I do have patients who say, I want to do it every year, mm. every two years, that's fine. Uh, but the government-recommended guideline is at least every three years. Past the age of 30, you should be getting the HPV DNA test because it's been shown to be much more sensitive, meaning that it picks up abnormalities much better than the pap smear in that age group. So the HPV DNA test lasts a bit longer because it's much more sensitive and that you can do it actually every five years. And again, five years is the maximum mark. And this is provided that the screening tests are normal. If not, then closer intervals would be recommended based on whatever your result is. Mm. I'm a bit confused. Is there a difference between what the DNA tests and the pap smears pick up? Yes. So a pap smear basically looks at changes that have occurred on the cervix. So Mm. it actually looks at pre-cancer changes. The HPV test tests for the presence of the virus. Mm. And as we mentioned before, the virus can be present before changes happen. Mm. So Mm. it's two different things, but they are done in the same way. 
Okay, and just to be extra clear, the test is done first to see if there's any HPV viruses mm-hmm. and then later on to pick up any abnormalities in the cervix. In the past, we used to only do pap smears. Mm. We had no way of testing the presence of the virus. Yeah. So you just basically look for changes cancer. that have already happened. Yeah. Pre-cancer changes. Yeah. Hopefully not at the stage of cancer. Now that we have this HPV DNA virus test, before changes happen, if we do pick up the virus, we can actually keep you at either a closer interval, means mm. so that we pick up pre-cancer even earlier, or we can do further examinations of the cervix through something called a coposcopy, where we actually look for precancer changes that might not have been picked up by a pap smear. Mm. Because a pap smear, no test is ever 100%. So things can be missed. A pap smear can sometimes miss things. And with the DNA test, because it's a bit more accurate, if we do pick up the presence of a virus, we can preemptively maybe look for precancer changes even earlier than what we used to be able to. Mm. Okay. It's interesting. So I'm interested to know, let's say things have been picked up in the test, right? Then what would you like then recommend to a patient if let's say things do not look so like normal? Yeah. Depending again on which test was abnormal, there are various steps to go through. But briefly speaking, if you do have any abnormal pap smear, the number one thing you should do is go and see a gynecologist so that we can explain the process of what exactly is wrong, which part of the pap was it the pap smear or the HPV test that was abnormal, Mm. and what you need to follow up. For Let's break it into two. So if your pap smear is abnormal, meaning that there are already abnormal changes, a lot of the time you directly need to do the further examination of the cervix where we use a microscope to actually look at your cervix Mm. under closer magnification. And that is to actually look for actual abnormal changes, which are pre-cancer changes, and hopefully treat them so that it doesn't have the chance to progress to cancer. Mm. And after treatment, then you would need to continue regular follow-up again with the same screening methods. If a HPV test is picked up, meaning a high-risk HPV is found, depending on which HPV strain, because there are some that are more dangerous than others, like we mentioned. So depending on which strain was picked up, you might either be recommended to go also for a coposcopy to look for abnormal changes, or you could sometimes repeat the test again, depending on your age, depending on what type of virus. And the repeat test would be done either in an interval of six months or one year, depending on what it was. Uh, because like I mentioned, if you're young, you can clear the virus. You may not need to mm. do anything. Maybe pre-cancer changes have not appeared. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's very informative. So if let's say me and my mom were to visit your clinic and we wanted to request for the screening and test, right? What would the procedure be like? What can we expect? Okay, so firstly, we use a plastic device that's called a speculum. Mm-hmm. And that will be inserted below at the genital tract to actually look at the cervix. It's a bit uncomfortable, it shouldn't be painful, Mm. um, and it will take maybe just a few minutes. And when that is done, then a quick kind of a brush of the cervix is taken, um, either to do the pap smear or the HPV test, Mm. and that only takes a few seconds. Mm. So the whole procedure of getting this screening test done is probably just a few minutes. Mm. And then after that, that's, that's it. You wait for about a week or two for the results and then see your doctor again and find out your information and when your next test should be. Mm. I've heard from some friends that, I mean, it's kind of like going to like taking a DNA test, like a mouth 
like sort mm. to some degree. I'm wondering if like because I mean if let's say they need to take some samples from your cervix, right? Does it like hurt? It will feel strange and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be painful. It can be painful to some, but it shouldn't be be too painful. Yeah, it shouldn't be unbearable. It's something that many women have to go through. Many people are quite scared of it. I usually tell my patients it's actually not as bad as you think. And most of the time, once they go through it, they're like, yes, that lasted just a few seconds. Mm. It's actually fine. Okay. So I think one of the things that we did was to ask some of our listeners what are some common HPV misconceptions or questions that they had. And we, out of the many that we got, we brought down to two really interesting submissions. And what we're going to do is to kind of like discuss we have a conversation about it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think the first listener submission is about handling the conversation with your folks and therefore my mum is here today. (laughs) So, I'll read it out. If someone did have sexual activity since 2018, should she still get the HPV prevention jab? But if she's accompanied with her mum to the clinic, how should she deal with the situation? So, this is quite a common question, you know. I think that maybe you can share with everybody why or how you know you approach the topic with me because I mean just for context as well mm. you were the one who introduced HPV to me and you were the one who went with me to get my first jab so it's really nice <laughs> actually for me you know personally it's, it's, it's more like a health issue you know it's, it's more like a prevention and I don't want you to get you know an, anything you know down the line so it's a good thing to you know be so open and uh, yeah mm. okay you love me, is what it is. <laughs> but mm. I want to know, but, but I, get, I guess, were there concerns about like sexual activity? Because it's quite a common. Oh, actually, that, that is not my concern at all. Because, you know, you, you're of an age, you know, you know how to handle all this. But the uh, HP jab is, is like a prevention. Mm. Yeah, so mm. it's better to get it, you know, rather than you know, regret it later. Mm. Yeah. Woke parent. <laughs> <laughs> is this a common issue that you face when patients come to your clinic asking for the jab. Yeah. So I think if they do come with their parents, that there are many parents like yourself mm. where I think it's very good of you that look at this as a health issue. Your mom is right. It is actually prevention for, for a cancer condition. Mm. And you shouldn't be looking at it as like what we mentioned. Even though it's a sexually transmitted infection, it's transmitted through sexual contact, but it's not per se a sexual disease. Mm. It is ultimately still cervical cancer that can affect women or for men, other types of cancer. So that's what we should be focusing on, health, rather Mm. than um, how it's transmitted. So that's number one. And that's what I try to drive through to my patients that that come with their parents. And most of the time also when they are there, even if it's about sexual activity, honestly, firstly, we don't even have to talk about that. We, we focus on the health issue. And secondly, also, it's important to remind the parents that getting it before sexual activity is important as well. So instead of worrying about the future or how it's going to get transmitted, why don't you just prevent them before anything happens? Mm. Yeah, so that's something that actually helps a lot of parents mm. um, to get their kids vaccinated. Mm. Yeah, Mm. and to answer the listener's question, yes, if you are sexually active, it doesn't mean that you have had any infection or even if you have, it doesn't mean that you have all the infections. Mm. So that's why it's important to get the HPV vaccination to prevent against the strains that it can prevent against Mm. as as early as possible. Mm. The second listener submission is actually also really interesting. Therefore, we picked it. 
I think this this one is a bit more of like a personal experience. And this person writes in saying, more than 10 years ago, I found out I had the low-risk HPV strain that was actually causing warts. I didn't realise what it was until I went for my yearly pap smear. So I got the warts lasered off and the doctor recommended a vaccine accordingly. A couple of years later, I found out that I got a few of the high-risk strains. That was very stressful, as you can imagine. If the cells are detected to be precancerous, the doctor would have to remove my cervix. So anyway, I had to monitor it yearly. And the pre-cancer stages are divided into 1, 2, 3, the third being the closest to cancer. So when more tests came back one year later, it came back as number 2, which means that the risk of getting cancer was quite high. So I had to get a procedure done to get rid of the abnormal cells to make sure it doesn't reach the cancer stage 3. Since then, the strain slowly disappeared and as the years went by, I moved back to Singapore and got the test done. And the doctor said that if I didn't get a call back, I don't need to see them for another 3 years. Thankfully, I didn't get a call back, but it doesn't mean that I'm completely clear of all the HPV strains. That only means that they did not detect anything abnormal with my cells back then, and I still might have some remaining HPV strains left. Yeah. So thank you for sharing the story. I think it's it's very difficult to go through something like that, especially mm. at a younger age and when you're just actually just trying to keep healthy and mm. then you don't expect anything to be wrong. And that's actually one reason why a lot of my patients don't want to be screened. They are worried that they detect something. What I want to tell people is that um, the, the good thing about the screening test is that it's picking up pre-cancer. It's not picking up cancerous cells. Mm. The point of screening is to hopefully detect things early so that we can actually go through very simple treatment that can eventually just keep you healthy and, and prevent bad things from happening. So the earlier you screen yourself, even if you do detect something, you should look at it as a good thing. Mm. At least you didn't wait till 5-10 years down the road where things are untreatable. So that's number one. Um, again, and like she says, yes, when pre-cancer changes are detected, and treated, you do need to continue on long-term follow-up. Number one, there's a chance that these changes can come back either because of reinfection with HPV, and which then causes cervical cancer changes, or you could get newly infected with different strains of HPV. So then again, that boils down to how can I prevent it? So besides just waiting every year for your regular checks, and again, to re-emphasize um, pap smears, which are looking for the abnormal changes, should be done at that certain age group when you're less than 30, every three years at least. But when you're more than 30, you should be starting to do the HPV DNA test. And mm. that will help you to pick up all the 14 high-risk strains of HPV, which are which is much more sensitive and a better test in that age group. And after doing that screening, again, some people also ask, do I need to take the vaccination? If I already have all these changes, what is the point? Mm. I do. There is some data to actually show that it can actually prevent the recurrence. And if you think about it logically, it's like, if I get the flu, do I still need the flu vaccine next year? Mm. Yes, because you could get it again. Mm. So preventing yourself, there's really no harm, I feel. Um, so long as you're still within the eligible age group, that the vaccine is recommended for, you can actually speak to your doctor about it regardless of what changes you have or, or what you have been through. And that can sometimes help to um, alleviate some of the concerns. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. To find out more about HPV or find a clinic, head over to itsyourlife.sg. That's it's, I-T-S, 
your life for more information. As usual, feel free to reach us on Instagram at somethingprivatepod or email me at nicole at somethingprivate.fm. 